Looking for secluded beaches and shimmering emerald waters? We know just the place. Florida has 825 miles of pristine white sand beaches, including St. George Island, just voted best beach in America by Dr. Beach. For a different side to the Sunshine State, try backcountry camping at Canaveral's Wildlife Sanctuary or savor the freshest seafood at Old Bay Cafe on Caladesi Island. You could spot the stingrays and dolphins at Navarre Beach, or for an otherworldly experience, visit Dry Tortugas National Park and gaze upon Fort Jefferson, the largest brick building in the Western Hemisphere, surrounded by turquoise waters. Or you could simply walk the laid back streets and browse the boutique shops and art galleries in Santa Rosa Beach. And there isn't a roller coaster in sight. Get inspired at visitflorida.com. For so many of us, going into space was a childhood dream, but Winston E. Scott has made that a reality. The veteran astronaut and retired United States Navy captain has spent a total of 24 days in space across a remarkable career. Nowadays, he's the Director of Operational Excellence at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex in Florida, overseeing the Astronaut Encounter Program, where visitors can interact with real astronauts including through behind-the-scenes tours like Fly with an Astronaut and Chat with an Astronaut. Here, we join him for launch and the countdown has already begun. You're listening to the latest episode of The Journey Podcast. The real action starts at seven seconds before liftoff. The clock is counting down and you can see it on your instruments, you can hear it in your headset. The clock is counting down, and at seven seconds, the main engines ignite. The computers do the ignition sequence for you. And all three engines begin to fire. The shuttle begins to shake uh, and rattle, and fire and smoke is billowing up around the front windscreen. Now, I remind you, you haven't gone anyplace yet. You're on the pad. There's all this fire and smoke billowing up around the front windscreen. And just when you're about to ask yourself, aren't we supposed to be going someplace? The clock hits zero, <laughs> and the solid rocket boosters ignite. When you see it on TV or in the movies, it looks like it floats up in slow motion because it's so big. In reality, clock hits you, it boom, it jumps off the pad. It kicks you in the buttocks and is shaking and vibrating. <laughs> we pass 100 miles per hour before we clear the tower. We pass Mach 1, the speed of sound, in roughly 45 seconds. And it presses you back into your seat at three times your body weight and it just continues to go faster and faster and faster. It never stops accelerating. And there's nothing else on Earth, no race car, no jet plane, no nothing that continuously accelerates for eight and one half minutes. So you press back into your seat and you go from zero miles per hour on the pad to 17,500 miles per hour in only eight and one half minutes. And one of the things that I always like to relate to the audience is my first flight, we launched at night. So it, it was dark outside, obviously. But about halfway through the ascent, I could look out of the front windows and see the day half of the Earth approaching. So we launched in darkness, and when we hit orbit, we had already gone around the Earth into the daylight side. Now, when you reach orbit, eight and one half minutes, we're at what we call MECO, main engine cutoff. The throttles come down and the computers will shut off the engines. And once the engines shut off, the acceleration stops. Now you're thrown forward in your seat a little bit. Your belt hold you back in. And when all of the 
the gyration stop. Everything begins to float, including you, except your seatbelts are holding you in. Once you release, you're, you're unstrapped. Now you're in continuous weightlessness until you return to Earth. It is the most dynamic ride anyone could ever do. Just an incredible ride from Earth to orbit. Absolutely incredible. And tell us a little bit more, as you say, you know, there's that, I guess there's that defining moment, let's say, where, where maybe your brain goes, okay, wow, now I'm in space. Perhaps you can see the curvature of the Earth. Perhaps the weightlessness kicks in. What that must be, you know, I, I don't know how many people in the world have ever experienced that. I would say fewer than 100 but how what what that must be the most bizarre wonderful strange incredible feeling that you've ever had surely it it, it is the, actually the first defining moment was on the way up when we okay. hit the 50 mile mark right somewhere around three hundred thousand feet our commander keyed the microphone and said houston we just made four brand new astronauts because the wow. 50 mile mark is the the line wow, of demarcation once you pass that so he, he said that I heard it in my headphones. I'm saying, oh, I'm, I'm excited. I said, wow, I'm an now I've actually made it. You know, no, no matter what happens, I'm, I've made it to space. But you, obviously you continue to go. But you're right. Another defining moment was the first time, and I'm in, I'm in orbit. We just had Miko. I was the first person to get out of my seat because of where it was located. And I had some photography to do. So I undid my seatbelts, and I took my helmet off, my gloves off, and I, I sort of stashed them someplace grabbed the camera, and then I floated up to the overhead windows and looked out and began to take pictures, and I could see the Earth beneath me. So that was the first time that I actually saw the Earth from space. And you're right, that is a true defining moment because it looks so different. You realize where you are and what you've done and, and, and again, what the world looks like. The other moments also, and quite a lot of those defining moments, have to do with viewing the Earth. The first time I saw Earth during a spacewalk, when I'm outside with my suit on and I look over and down at the Earth, that's another defining moment. So Mother Earth is really very special to us, uh, those of us who remain on Earth our entire lives and those of us who see it from that different perspective, just an incredible place that we call home. Uh, unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. There's, there's two things that we can absolutely pick up on there. One of which is you say, you know, you got out of your seat and you, and you floated up into weightlessness and you started taking some photos. And I think it's really easy for, for you know, non-astronauts. I think it's really easy for us to forget that you guys are up there to do a job, right? You're doing research. And, and photography is obviously absolutely part of that. And spacewalks is 100% part of that. So, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that being an astronaut is a job. You know, it, it's a dream job, but it's still a job. So so perhaps you could tell us about kind of some of the routines, some of the tasks that you might have to do on a daily basis, and then we can absolutely get into a bit more detail on the spacewalks as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, going into space is a job, and, and sure. you're right. People see uh, videos from space. They see astronauts playing around and floating and, and, and turning somersaults and having fun, or they forget those moments Absolutely. are few and far between. The, the schedule is quite busy, especially during the space shuttle days, because the space shuttle was a short duration vehicle. So our schedule was jam packed. Space station people, those who are up there now stay six months. Well, obviously they can't work all the time. They have to have a little bit more humane schedule, similar to what we have here on Earth. But on a daily basis in space, you wake up and you wake up to wake up music. A mission control will pipe it up to you. So that's your alarm call. And the crew typically will have selected the wake up calls. 
So on a given morning, they may play a song that I selected. The next day, they may play a song that somebody else selected. So you wake up to your wake-up music. And just like you do here on Earth, you have to sort of clean yourself up. So you have to bathe, you know, wash your face, wash your body, brush your teeth, and things like that. And uh, on the space shuttle, that was a challenge because the shuttle was very, very small. It's like living in a camper. We had five guys and one woman on my second flight. So the five guys would get up. We would shave and we'd bathe and we'd get dressed. Then we all would float up to the flight deck and close off the mid-deck and allow the one woman to have the mid-deck so, so she could get herself all, all up and ready. Then we all get together for breakfast. You have a typical a menu that you've selected ahead of time for your breakfast food. And you might have scrambled eggs. You might have sausage patties. You might have cereal, might milk, coffee, tea. Uh, whatever, whatever your menu calls for, you prepare your breakfast. And as the audience can imagine, the foods are prepared differently. Some of them are dehydrated. We have to reinsert the water, and we do that through a, a special rehydration station. So you reinsert the water, you fix your food, you eat your breakfast. Then you begin the task of the day. At a particular time, one crew member may be working on one experiment, another may be working on another experiment. For example, Leonid Cadenia, who's on my Columbia flight, was growing plants in space. So Leonid would work on his, his plant growth project. And then uh, Steve Lindsay and Casey Chabla had a, uh, a flame propagation experiment that they would work on. So e each person may have a different experiment to do, or you may have a couple of people working on one. It, the, the task just vary. On the day that there's a spacewalk, Spacewalking takes priority over everything. That is a full day's work that commands the attention of pretty much the whole crew. So we'll start that. Anyway, you work through you work through midday. Then it's lunchtime, kind of like at home. And you come together on the mid-deck again. You prepare your lunch. Then after that, you may have some other uh, activities in the afternoon. You prepare dinner. You may have a little bit, a little bit of free time in the evening. But the days are chock full of uh, experiments. You also sometimes have uh, interviews from space. For example, uh, President Clinton was in office when I was flying. President called the space shuttle and talked with us on Thanksgiving morning. We were there. Uh, on a different day, we had the president of Ukraine. Uh, Leonid Kadenyuk was Ukrainian. Now, he passed away a few years ago, so he doesn't know what's going on in Ukraine at this moment. But he was Ukrainian. The president of Ukraine called us. On other days, we, we had uh, educational sessions with students from America, students from all over Europe, students from Japan, students from Africa. So there's just a, a, a wide variety of activities we perform, and it's just, uh, just nonstop, just one thing right after another. Busy times. <laughs> amazing, amazing. You mentioned their wake-up music. Uh, I know for a fact that you're a trumpet player. So what kind of wake-up music were you taking? Were you taking perhaps Miles Davis, somebody like that? Exactly. In fact, yes, Miles Davis. My most favorite, my most favorite piece of music that I took into space with me was Miles Davis in a silent way. It was a jazz album of the year, 1968, classic. And it sounds like out of space. Out of space. It's amazing because Miles never traveled into space. But if you ever listen to it in a silent way by Miles, it has a spacey sound, a very beautiful piece. So you're right. That, is, that was my most favorite piece of music that I took in the space with me. Well, I'm not sure I'll ever hear that music in the same way ever again. What other kind of tracks <laughs> were you taking? What other wake-up music were you taking up into space? I took some music by the uh, Soweto String Quartet, which is a South African classical music uh, string quartet. 
I took some big band music, Glenn Miller Count, Basie Duke Ellington. I took some Ray Charles, Ray Charles' greatest hits. He was taking in the space with me. So a variety of music, but my colleagues took music as well. We had some music from India, Casey Chabla, Kalpana Chabla took some music. And uh, we had uh, some music from Japan, Takao Doi brought some Japanese music with him. And uh, so we had, a, because we had an international crew, we had international culture, including music. It was really a fun time. Fantastic. It sounds like almost like a the most kind of extraordinary working holiday with a group of friends from around the yes, world. It yes, sounds absolutely, absolutely. remarkable. Winston, let's talk a little bit about, about the spacewalks, if you wouldn't mind. Because again, I think there's probably in my completely you know with my zero knowledge of this i imagine there's a couple of milestones in an astronaut's career let's say and we've spoken a bit about the countdown and leaving the atmosphere or you know becoming an astronaut as you called it on the way up i think the spacewalk is maybe a whole new element right because you're you know you, whatever the the noise of the doors is you know and and all of a sudden it's just you and the blackness and you're basically only attached to civilization by a small wire i guess how did that feel that must have been amazing yeah, yeah that's correct it's not quite that sudden though it's a little more gradual process of depressurizing okay, sure. and exiting the, <laughs> the uh, airlock but once you do exit the airlock sure. you, you sort of float out of the opening mm. from the airlock to the payload bay so you float out on your back and the big walls of the shuttle's cargo bay are up high, so you can't immediately see out. But once you sort of float yourself up to the top of the sill, then you can look over and down, and you can see the earth beneath you. Now, I can remember the first time I did that. I floated myself up to the sill, grabbed the handholds, pulled myself up, and I looked over and down. And then I could actually see how high I was above the earth and how fast we're moving over the earth. Absolutely incredible sensation. And it's different from being outside because you are, you, I mean, it's different from being inside. You're outside, inside, of, you know, with your suit on. You are your own spaceship and you're hurtling through the, the sky at 17,500 miles per hour. So it's quite a sobering experience. Uh, it's a little bit awkward because that suit is so massive. It weighs over 300 pounds on earth. In space, it's weightless because, you know, you still have the 300 plus pounds of mass that you're moving in addition to your body mass. So it's, it's a, the most rigorous thing that we do from a physical standpoint. But the sensation of being outside on a spacewalk is amazing. You know, you, we travel completely around the Earth every 90 minutes. So you've got 45 minutes in direct sunlight. It's very hot followed by 45 minutes on the dark side of the earth, and it's very, very, very cold. And to experience that, to actually be outside and you see the sunrise, and then 45 minutes later, it's setting behind you, and you're in darkness. You can feel the chill. And then 45 minutes later, you look out, the sun's rising again. It's over and over and over again, just an incredible experience. You see it and you feel it from, from traveling so fast. Just amazing. That's phenomenal. Something, again, folks, if you know people listening... That's just something that doesn't come, you know, doesn't come across in the movies or whatever. So you've had twenty-four days in space, but you've probably seen several hundred sunsets and sunrises. That's remarkable. Sixteen every day, sixteen sunrises, and sunsets every day, every twenty-four hour period of time. So you've seen several hundred more sunsets than everybody <laughs> your age as well. Unbelievable. 
Absolutely. Now, I have to point out, though, because we know we have people on the International Space Station, and they're staying for six months at a time. So they're seeing a lot more than I did. You know, shuttle days were a week, two weeks. Uh, station days are months and months and months. So each uh, generation, so to speak, of space explorer is going to stay longer and longer. When we send people off to the moon, they'll stay a long time. Then we eventually send people to Mars. That's going to be even longer. So the station people are really, really having long duration space flight. Fantastic. Um, I'm, am I going to use this cliche? Yeah, I'm going to use this cliche. Sorry, listeners. Um, let's bring things back down to Earth. And literally, in this case, unbelievable. I, can't, I couldn't help myself. I apologize, Winston. But obviously, you know, you've had a phenomenal, phenomenal career. Let's talk a little bit about your current role. Nowadays, you're the Director of Operational Excellence at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what a visitor might expect uh, at the, you know, at the Space Center Visitor Complex? You know, tell us a little bit about the Fly with an Astronaut and Chat with an Astronaut programs, if you would. Yes, absolutely. When people come to visit the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex, they are in for a treat. But first and foremost, the Visitor Complex is not a museum. You don't go there and see dead stuff. It is a real live, working, active participant. Put your hands on, climb in, fly, shake, rattle, and roll. They really get uh, an immersive experience. And the complex is, uh, the, the visitor center is divided into more than one complex. So there's several parts to it. It's impossible to see and do everything in one day. So that gives you an idea of the magnitude. But one of the things that we pride ourselves on is just that the visitors on any day will have the opportunity to interact with an astronaut. The visitor complex is open almost 365 days a year, and every day there are activities going on where astronauts are involved. Astronaut Encounter is an auditorium-like presentation that our guest astronaut will do, and the, uh, uh, the visiting public will hear a presentation, but then they also have an opportunity to interact through questions and answers with a veteran astronaut. A little bit more uh, intimate experience is called chat with an astronaut. And that one is limited to about 25 or 30 people. It's very small and very informal. People who participate in chat with get a meal, the, the food. They have all they can eat for a breakfast if they do the breakfast chat with or lunch if they do the lunch chat with. And they sit down. There's this intimate setting with an astronaut. The person will sit there and uh, you just have two-way conversation. We also have autograph sessions where the public can uh, obtain an autograph and a photograph with the astronaut. Uh, so there's just, just so many opportunities. We have uh, what we call fly with an astronaut. This is for small groups that book this particular activity. Their organization will actually have their own dedicated astronaut to escort them around the visitor complex and spend several hours with them as they tour the complex. You're actually guided by a veteran astronaut. So again, there's just so many activities that, uh, that are, we think are unique to KSC visiting a complex and the interaction with astronauts is one of them. 100%. Well, there you have it, folks. If you think you've done it all, if you think you've seen everything the world has to offer, I can pretty much guarantee you've never had a space travel breakfast buffet before. We'll be back after these messages. The Sunshine State is so much more than roller coasters. Why not take your family on a different tour of Florida? Enjoy a unique trip to the only beach that doubles as a launch pad at Florida Space Coast. Spread out over 72 miles of gorgeous beachfront, 
kids and adults can experience a rocket launch, learn how to become an astronaut, or see what the future of space exploration might look like at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. For a relaxing end to a busy day, take a sunset cruise from Port Canaveral or enjoy dinner and drinks at the water's edge. It's time for takeoff to Florida. So start planning your trip at visitflorida.com. Winston, let's go a little bit broader again now in terms of the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex and it's kind of its place within what what we call Space Coast, Florida's Space Coast, uh, which of course in general is a is a really, really interesting place for people who are interested in space travel in general. And, you know, there's, there's 101 things that can be done at the Space Coast as well, uh, including things like watching rocket launches. So if, if you are a fan of space travel and you're out there and you're listening, where are the best places along the Space Coast to, to watch rocket launches and similar activity? Actually, the best place is through the Kennedy Space and Visitor Complex, because when a, when a launch is going on, the Visitor Complex will offer uh, packages or tickets to people who want to view it. And depending on what package you purchase, you can view it uh, either closer or farther away. But for every launch, in fact, we have one coming up, I think, on, on Sunday. There's so many going on, it's hard for me to keep up with how many are going on. But uh, <laughs> you can actually purchase the ticket and watch from either the Banana River site or from the Kennedy Space and Visitor Complex site. They'll set up bleachers. They'll have communicators and comments, and, and, and they'll have people nar- sort of narrating the whole thing. You can follow the countdown and actually see the rocket launch live. So the best place is from the complex. However, you don't have to. There's several places along the, the coast that you can watch for free. Uh, Jetty Park is one, and uh, people can Google Jetty Park and navigate their way there. Mm-hmm. They can take, take your camper out there and set it up, bring your cooler on. You can see the launch from there. Any place along the beach, there at Cocoa Beach, down at uh, uh, Indian Ro- Indian Harbor Beach, you can watch. So there are a number of places people can just pull over and sort of camp out and watch the rocket launch. I happen to live on off the Ogali Causeway on the Indian River, uh, so quite often I'll follow the countdown on my computer, and then mm-hmm. just before launch, I walk out on my balcony and follow. I walk, I can I can see the rocket That's launch amazing. there. In the distance, because where I live. <laughs> That's brilliant. So one of the cool things about living on the space coast is that there's no shortage of places from which you can actually see a rocket launch. Now, a couple of couple of interesting tidbits for your audience. Sure, please. The first shuttle launch I ever saw was many years before I was in the program. I was a naval aviator. I was on active duty, and I was at Cecil Field in Jacksonville, Florida. Now we launched from Cape. I was in Jacksonville. And we were in the ready room. My fellow pilots and I were in the ready room. And I happened to remember, hey, the space shuttle is going to launch. And we watched the count, clocked it down, and looked out of the window, and we saw the launch from Jacksonville. Also, my first launch, I'm told, of my colleagues back home, some of my friends at home, actually watched it from Miami. Now, it was just only a little bright street. But they were in Miami, and they actually saw a rocket launch from Miami. So, again... No matter where you are in the state of Florida, you'll be able to see a rocket launch. That's fantastic. Sure. I mean, just to kind of, tr- I'm trying to desperately put that into context of my own life. And I guess that's like, if if a sh- so, I live in the Cotswolds, which is rural England. And I guess that's like, if a sheep walked by, <laughs> then that would be the thing that I could see out of my my window. But yours is, oh, it's you know, it's more people going into space. It's just uh, <laughs> absolutely fascinating. <laughs> 
And you're right. That and there's so many more. Uh, there's so many more rocket launches going on these days. I I can't remember what number we are up to now. Last number I saw was I think it was 25. But I think we've exceeded that. Now that wow. that's right here from Kennedy, and and Cape Canaveral. That doesn't count the ones on the West Coast. And of sure, course, sure. all of those, most of those were unmanned. You know, no people in them. So the majority is still unmanned. Uh, but but the space travel is certainly increasing in its frequency and it's also becoming more and more accessible to many people. And, and you know this, the uh, tourist side of space has really begun to, to blossom with Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, some of the others now beginning to send tourists 100%. into space. I think that's fantastic. There were many of us who pushed for that years ago. What you see happening now, many of us pushed for 10, 15 years ago because a lot of things had to happen to allow space wow. tourism to grow. And now we see, we're seeing it uh, in its infancy. It's good. Fantastic. Is, is that where you believe the kind of the future of space exploration is going? Is it going to be effectively space tourism? Oh, I believe... travel for a holiday, perhaps? Ab, I believe that the biggest segment of space travel some number of years from now is going to be tourism. I, don't, I believe it's going to be similar wow. to the history of air travel. The original airplanes were sold to the military, you know, the army, and it was there were military planes. But now mm -hmm. the bulk of air travel is civilian. I mean, we, we buy a ticket and we go fly on an airliner. The same thing is going to happen with space. You you have your professional astronauts off doing scientific things, but the general public is going to make up the bulk of it, flying suborbital flights and orbital flights and hotels and space and all that. So some number of years from now, I think the tourism is going to be the largest part of space travel isn't that an exciting concept everybody imagine that maybe uh Absolutely. maybe one day we'll have to do a journey magazine podcast from somebody in space that would be the that would be the future no, perhaps no doubt Some, someone will do it you you may do it you you folks are young enough that you may do it yourself or maybe Ooh, fingers crossed the next generation may do it but yeah and you I'll also think, think that i'm young so i'll take it yeah, all right but uh, imagine your kids or grandkids doing a week uh, space camp in space. Or maybe your daughter or son or granddaughter having a wedding in space on the, a space station. Very, very, very possible. It will happen. There you go, folks. Start getting your bookings in. Winter 2027, the hot destination for your wedding is going to be Mars. Stay tuned. Yes. Winston, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. But I guess we need to start wending our way to a finish of this conversation. But perhaps before we do, let's finish on a, on a travel-focused note. Um, we're talking a lot about the KSC, that's the Kennedy Space Center and its visitor complex. But of course, at the end of the day, you're also a man who lives in Florida. So when you're not at work, where do you like to go to hang out, to visit, to eat? Perhaps you could share some of your tips for Florida. Oh, absolutely. Of course, I'm, I'm a Floridian by background. I was, actually, I was actually born and raised in Miami. So very uh, still a few of us around that actually native Floridian. That's right. Now, my career, of course, is all over the place. But now that I'm, I'm at re retirement stage, my wife and I live in Florida again. And, and as you can imagine, or as, as you see on TV, there's no shortage of things to do in Florida. The more fun things are surround, are the, uh, having to do with water. You know, the, the beaches, Florida beaches are, are wonderful. And the beaches in the Panhandle are different than the beaches down south in Florida. Down south in, in Miami, you have the nice brown sand, the palm trees and so on. 
But in the panhandle on the Gulf side, you have the white powdery sand up in the Panama City area. So two different types of beaches, but both very, very, very beautiful. Then you, if you go further south, you've got Key West and the exotic places down in the Key West area. Some nice uh, uh, seafood restaurants in Key West. Uh, if you go, we've got uh, airboat rides. That's something you might not see in many places. And the guides will actually take you out on an airboat. You can spot alligators and crocodiles and, and dolphins and, and other uh, uh, sea life, if you like, real up close and personal. We already talked about the Space Center and the, visit, the, the visiting uh, opportunities there. Disney World, of course, is here. I don't need to talk much about Disney World. That's here. Uh, it, it, there's just so much to do. There are restaurants. There's the uh, entertainment. There's sports from, you know, the Miami Dolphins up to the Jacksonville Jaguars and you know, all the professional sports if you want that. So there's so Florida just has a full range of activities that the visitor can uh, engage in. And the nice part is you never have to shovel snow. It's always nice and warm and mild. You can, you can go to the beach on Christmas Day if you want, typically in Florida. So just a wonderful mm. state. Uh, in oh, which you to... are selling it to me, Winston. You are <laughs> selling it to me. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And, and of course, folks, you can go to visitflorida.com to learn more about all of the kind of the tourist activities that are available, including, of course, the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex, everything around Space Coast and further afield into the rest of the Sunshine State. Thank you so much for, for sharing all your, your kind of your life story with us. I know it's been very, very brief, Winston, but I really, really appreciate it. Folks, you have been listening to Winston E. Scott, a veteran astronaut and director of operational excellence at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. Thank you so much, Winston. It's been an honor speaking to you. The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Everybody, you've been listening to The Journey Podcast. And once again, I was speaking with Winston E. Scott, veteran astronaut and the Director of Operational Excellence at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex in Florida. Thanks again, Winston. Mm -hmm.